Paul's letter to the Corinthians ends where it began. It began with an appeal for unity. Paul says, I appeal to you in chapter 1, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And where the letter begins, that's where it ends, with an appeal to unity, and that's what chapter 16 is. Most of the letter focuses on disunity inside the church, and chapter 16 focuses on connections outside the church. And may this chapter and this conclusion of this letter encourage and remind us to pursue unity with God's people. Let's read 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you but, uh, with the brothers, but he was quite willing to go now. But he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit, and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's bow together and ask God to be with us. Father, would you visit us and speak to us through your word during this hour. Father, we thank you that you are present, that you come amidst your people that you come by your Spirit, that you come where your Word is opened and you make Christ known. 
So, Father, would you do that today? Would you do that for each of us? Make Christ known to us. And work in our hearts that we might be molded and formed in his image, the image of his love, that we might be a display of his love in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the uh, unique things about the Bible, something that makes it so attractive, is that God's people, the chosen people, are such dunderheads. And you see it in, in the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament story, you know, when God gathers together his covenant people and he makes the covenant, establishes his kingdom among them at Mount Sinai, he warns them of the train wreck that is ahead. And then you read through the whole Old Testament story and the warnings come again and again and again. But the derailment is coming and then you see the train going off the tracks and all the cars smashing into each other. It's so amazing. They don't hear. They don't get it. Their minds and hearts unbelievably are focused on all the wrong things. And they miss the plain message that God gives them over and over again. And then we come to the New Testament. And we have the 12 apostles specially chosen by Jesus. And it's so encouraging to us that they make such entertaining blunders again and again. And so, you know, Peter is telling, uh, uh, Jesus, I'm sorry, is telling them, predicting about his death and how he's going to go and sacrifice himself, how he's going to be betrayed and beaten. And immediately the next thing you know, they're all arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And then we have the Corinthians. They're even more like us, a church, a local church. And if there's a way to get it wrong, we have seen it addressed in this letter to the Corinthians. One thing after another. So the great thing about the Bible is that there's this high, high teaching that's given to blockheads. And it's so encouraging for people like us who struggle to get the basic message to be assured that this great high message is for people like us too. And uh, if you're a really high, high person and you're doing really well and you can say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ, that teaching is so high. It's so high and you see it so clearly and it humbles you, doesn't it? Well, here we come to the, the end of 1 Corinthians, and it's the same thing all over again. It's the call to a selfish people to love. Uh, all through the book, it's been to love one another and to quit ignoring one another and being proud and despising one another. And now it's a call to love those outside the congregation. So since Christ loves unity so should his people. Since Christ stops at nothing to establish a unity for his people, a unity among his people, so we should not let any barrier get in the way of the unity and love, pursuing that unity that God has made among his people. So the key thought in this chapter, like the key verse, is... Uh, 
you know, it's, it's one of these chapters, these concluding chapters that sort of goes everywhere. You know, they're just all the, the remaining things. He sort of touches on a whole bunch of issues. And so, so like, the, the key thought that can help to pull it together is in verses 13 and 14. So if you just look at that, he says, um, he gives just a, a few rapid-fire a few rapid fire exhortations, characteristic of Paul's conclusions of his letters, is, is exhortations. And um, so a few rapid fire exhortations. And uh, I think that verses 13 and 14 are really taking 1 Corinthians 13, 13 and turning it into an exhortation. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 is like the, the, uh, the high point of the whole book up to this point. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, remember that great chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13. And then the whole chapter reaches this pinnacle at the end. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so here it, at the end of the book, he takes that and he turns it into an exhortation. He turns faith into an exhortation. See what he says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. So two ways of saying it. Be on your guard against anything that will lead you away from the truth and lead you into darkness because it's the truth, it's the faith, it's trusting God's Word that gives us everything, that provides all the good things that we have in Christ. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. And then he turns hope into an exhortation. Be men of courage, be strong. And it sounds just like that uh, exhortation that comes over and over again in the Old Testament. Be strong and courageous. God said it to Joshua when he sent Joshua into the promised land to lead the people. Joshua said it to the elders, to the chiefs of the people, later as he was finishing his, his course. Later David said it to his son Solomon, be strong and courageous. Later King Hezekiah said it to all the people when they were facing terrible uh, challenges. And every time that, it, that that statement comes in the Old Testament, be strong and courageous. Just the same words as here almost. Be, uh, be men of courage and strong. Every time it's quoted, be strong and courageous, it says, do not fear. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's hope. So faith, hope, and then the greatest of these is love. This is where the chapter really lands, is verse 14. You can memorize it, and then you memorize the key verse of, of the, the whole chapter. Uh, 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. do everything in love. Wow, I can do it. I can memorize the verse anyway. Yeah, do everything in love. That's what the, the, the chapter is about. So just to trace that, that idea throughout the whole book, the concept that Paul is driving home to the people is that the gospel of Christ forms us into people who love. It unites us together as a people united in love. So in the first four chapters, the issue was their divisions over wisdom. And, you know, they thought that Paul and Apollos and Peter and Jesus were like different, you know, famous teachers. And I'm a fan of Paul. Well, I'm a fan of Apollos. And they were having contests like that, thinking, who's got the best wisdom? 
Who is better than all the rest? And uh, Paul teaches them that wisdom is a gift of God's grace, that Christ has become wisdom and redemption for us. And so then, chapters 5 and 6, they're all taken up with greed, uh, immorality, and lawsuits are going on. And he says, no, no, it's not greed, but it's new life. It's not the selfish things that you pursue in this world, but it's new life that you need. And that new life is a gift of God's grace. In chapters 8 through 10, they're, they're all headstrong, pursuing their own rights, doing what, whatever they can do, putting themselves first. And so, you know, if somebody has trouble with, with me doing what I think is right, and if they're confused, you know, that's their problem. So it was all the arguments about how to navigate around the idols, the idolatry in their society, and the meat sacrifice to idols. And some people just felt like, I can do whatever I want. Who cares what other people think? And uh, Paul shows how he himself gives up his rights because there's something better than having your way and having your rights, and that is to be in the service of the good news of the gospel and to bring the blessings of Christ to other people. So he says, I would gladly give up all my rights so that nothing may hinder the gospel. And uh, 1 Corinthians 11, they're at the Lord's Supper and they're, they're, they're defiling the whole table, ruining its whole meaning by their selfishness. And he encourages them to wait for one another, to live out the fellowship that the Lord's Supper is supposed to mean. In chapters 12 through 14, they're all excited about being better than anybody else. Who has the best gifts? Who's better than all the rest? Who has the, you know, the real special endowment of the Spirit? And Paul says, you know what's really special? You know what's really top of them all? Love. Be- the best way, better than them all, is love. And so use your gifts to build up others in love. So most of Paul's letters end with a big, long section, like maybe half the book sometimes, of all the exhortations. But in this book, it's just one issue after another. It's hard-hitting exhortations all the way through. And so he comes to the end, and he just summarizes it all with those two verses. Hey, uh, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. If there's one more exhortation, it's in the following paragraph where he says uh, to honor Stephanus uh, and, and people like him who have really uh, exemplified this kind of faith, hope, and love. So Christians must unite. That's our call as God's people. God has called a people together for his name, one people for himself. And what we see in the first four verses is Paul is, is making an international project going around to all different nations and gathering funds for a collection to help the poor in Jerusalem. So he's creating, he's calling for unity despite borders. We must unite despite borders. You know, there's no division as obvious and overwhelming as an international border. You know, with the, the big fences and the gates and, uh, you know, all the barriers and the border guards and it goes on and on. Uh, you really know when you're, 
when you're seeing a, a real difference, a real separation among people. But even when there are no fences and guards, the divisions between nations are huge. So there are just differences in the way people talk, the way people act, the way that they think, the way they do things. You know, it's like you're, you're playing two different games. You know, you've got one group of people trying to play soccer and another group of people trying to play basketball, and they're trying to use the same ball. That's what it's like to be with people of another culture. So those people, they grab the ball and start bouncing around and say, wait a minute, you're not allowed to touch with your hands. What do you mean? And, you know, it goes back and forth, and, and then they have different rules for resolving conflict and, you know, different referees and umpires, and the whole thing is just total chaos. So I- interacting with people of another culture, there's a huge, huge barrier. I was sipping tea in the home of a Ugandan friend. He was an exile from his country. And he was telling me about how the other, the other ethnic group in his country, they would raise their children to hate his ethnic group. If ever something happened to the child, you know, the, the, the child's uh, lollipop got finished or, or, you know, they stubbed their toe or whatever it might be. He said, oh, you know, the people of that other tribe, they did that. And he just felt so bad. They poisoned his life and, and, they, and uh, poisoned the, the minds of people, poisoned the minds of their whole tribe against his group, and that's why he was in exile. Such sad, painful divisions. Borders are small to Christians. They don't intimidate us. They don't divide us. We step right across them. We can in Christ. And so that's what Paul is doing. He's calling for this cooperation among people who are so different. So in verse 1, he's saying, you know, about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. In other words, you're working together with churches 450 miles to the east across land and sea that you've never met before and you never will. Maybe one of them will come out someday and you'll say hi. But uh, you do what they're doing. That's how we'll do it together. And then, uh, then he talks about how um, he's going to spend some time in Macedonia. That comes up in verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. So he's also going to be doing the collection in Macedonia. And uh, and. And so, oh, the Macedonians, well, those are those people up north. Like, we have rivalry with them. But meanwhile, he says, no, I can't come now. If you look in verse, verse uh, 8. I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work is open to me. Oh, no, he's going he's gonna to stay in Ephesus. He can't, can't come and be with them. Uh, so he's also raising the, the funds in Ephesus, you know, across the sea, over to the east, a couple hundred miles. Uh, so these are the people in Asia. They call it Asia, that part of Turkey. So he's gathering the offering from all these different places, this international offering. He's from all the Gentile churches, and he's bringing it back to Jerusalem. So that's what he says in verse 3. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. They're gathering their money and they're going to send it like a thousand miles off to the east to Jerusalem. Off at the edge of the Roman Empire, a very insignificant little province over there. Uh, nothing too big or important takes place in Jerusalem, but it's precious to the Gentile believers in Achaia, in Corinth, where Achaia, where, uh, where, where, uh, 
where they are. And so uh, Paul talks about how precious uh, they are to the Gentiles in Romans when he's talking about this offering. Listen to what he says about the offering in Romans and about why the Gentiles and Achaia are contributing to this. Romans 15, 25 to 27. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. These uh, Gentiles off there in Achaia, near the center of the Roman Empire, you know the big important places, what they got that's really a treasure was passed on from Jerusalem where the Lord Jesus uh, had come and had lived and had taught and where all the work had begun. And they were the, the uh, recipients of that. So it's a blessing for them to unite with God's people far away off there whom they'll never see. Why unite with God's people? Because Christ unites us together. He gave himself for all. So what can we do with this? How can we apply this today? Obviously, you know, trying to gather, we could go do the same thing and make an international offering and look for the poor in Jerusalem and especially the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. We could do that. But it seems to me that the principle that's operating has many applications. And maybe the point is not to bring it back to where the gospel came from to get to us, but maybe to send it ahead to the people who haven't heard yet. So I think it's a great missions passage, a great missions application. Um, But connecting and uniting with God's people and then inviting those who are not God's people to become God's people. Uh, So Jesus talks about uniting with God's people and how that's a blessing. He says in um, Matthew 10, 40, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. And then he says in verse 42, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So there's a blessing in stepping across the border and bringing even a cup of cold water, some kind of blessing, to the disciples of Jesus Christ, wherever they may be. And then even to call those who aren't disciples yet and bring them in and bring them into the reconciliation of Christ, sharing God's love with them in the message of the gospel. So today, Jeremy, Godwin, and Blaine are in Dubai. They're training church leaders, training uh, preachers on biblical exposition. And... uh, this summer, we have five mission trips. We have people going to all different places. I'm even, even you know, really crossing, you know, the extreme borders, like into Montana. Uh, you know, people are just so different there. Uh, we have one lady in our church who learned about um, some West African missionaries needing scholarships. Uh, one of our missionaries runs a missionary training school in Burkina Faso. 
And uh, so there are people who want to attend, missionaries who want to attend, and they can't, and uh, they, they can't come up with, with the money. And so this lady heard about that, and she sent several hundred dollars and provided a scholarship. She got a letter back, and the guy says, yeah, I've been a missionary for, for 15 years here in, in, um, in my country and uh, in West Africa. And I heard about the training there, and I wanted to go, and it was approved by my national committee, but there was no funding. And so the national committee asked me to cancel a plan. So I just asked everybody to pray. And then I heard from Joel Gray that there was a sponsor. Praise God, he makes all things beautiful in his time. The Lord has again demonstrated his commitment to equip us for more of his work. So, uh, you know, there, there are just so many ways. It's so easy these days to step across borders in, in lots of different ways. I heard a sad story of a church that voted to shut down. There were only 10 people left. Um, they would only get like five on a Sunday. It wasn't a church anymore. So it was in, you know, in an inner city. They, they have no parking. Just, you know, a church building, boom, right there. And so it was a neighborhood church. People were supposed to walk to church, and that's how it used to be. But the neighborhood changed. A different ethnic group had moved in. There's a different population. But the church had not taken the responsibility and the privilege of crossing the border and of uniting with people of God there and sharing Christ with the people who are now in that neighborhood and discipling them and and providing a church for them. Um, but instead, they kept their own little thing until it was ready to die, needed to die. So finally, they shut it down. Hopefully, there will be a restart. Yeah. Well, there are also invisible borders. There are borders all around us. You know, there's a border right between, right, right at the door of the Asian food store. Uh, right at the door of the, the Brazilian barbecue. You can cross over. You can step in. There's, a, there's an Egyptian guy running the Italian takeout place sort of around the corner from my house. Uh, you, know, they're, they're all, you know, who's your doctor? Uh, who, 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 who does your fingernails? Um, there, there are borders all around us. We can cross these borders and, and find brothers and sisters in Christ or find people who need the good news of Christ and, and draw them in. Uh, this coming Thanksgiving, put it, start making your plans. We're going to be hosting the International Student Thanksgiving Conference that's run by uh, ISI, International Students Incorporated. So international students will be coming from all across New England, coming to Boston to do some sightseeing and, and to attend a conference where they can learn about Christianity. You know, there's nobody else that cares about international students but the Christians, so they're, they're happy to come. And part of the conference is that we open our homes and we invite a couple international students. We find beds for them. We invite them to Thanksgiving dinner or get someone else to bring them over to their house for Thanksgiving dinner, whatever the plans are. And we welcome them in. And we, we, the boundaries are coming, the borders are coming right into our church. And you have the opportunity to cross those borders with the gospel. Borders divide because of all the differences between people. But borders are small to God's people. Borders mean nothing to the gospel. But conflicts also divide. 
And there was a lot of conflict in Corinth. In Corinth. We must unite despite borders. We must unite despite tensions. And uh, so, so much tension going on between Paul and Corinth. You know, this has been a letter dripping with uh, difficulty and tension. Listen to these words of Paul from chapter 4. Chapter 4, 18 to 21. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love and with a gentle spirit? Whoa, you know, ratchet it up, Paul. Come on, make it clear to us. Uh, What do you really mean? Tell us what you really think. So, such tension. You know, churches blow up over less conflict than this, over less tension than this. And now in chapter 16, you, you look at verse 22, and Paul's not content. He's got to give him another zinger here at the, end of the, at the end of the book. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. If you're part of the fellowship, and you're playing the game and talking the talk, and you kind of know the secret handshakes or whatever. You know the system, and you know how we do things, and you can kind of fit in. Do you really love the Lord Jesus? Or is that as far as it goes? Is it just a matter of fitting in with this bunch of people? If Christ has died for you, and you've trusted Him to take away your sin, to make you a child of God, and to reconcile you with the Father. And you've experienced God's grace, His forgiveness, His power, His mercy. Then there must be love with that. If there isn't, then there's something deep missing. There are two ways to respond to what Paul is saying here. You can blow up or you can break down. You can get angry or you can surrender to Jesus Christ. But Paul is giving us a challenge. There's tension. And the gospel brings tension. You know, so Jesus said, uh, you know, don't think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to divide a, a, a man against the people in his own house, a father against his son and a son against his father. And the, the people, the members of one's own household will be his enemies. Jesus divides people with his claims, with his salvation, with his gospel. It's such good news. If you reject it and ignore it, there's tension. What does Paul do with the tension? He faces it. You know, it's, it, there are two things that we, we're, we're tempted to do when there's tension. Either get angry and try to steamroller our way through and get our own way, or run away. But what Paul does is he steps in. He doesn't try to avoid it. He doesn't try to overpower, but he steps in. So verses 5 through 7, he says that he will come and stay with them. Verses 8 and 9, he says, you know, there's a lot of opposition here in Ephesus I'm going to stay here and face it. 
verses 10 through 11, he's sending Timothy now. He doesn't want to leave them without someone there with them. In the face of all this tension, he's going to send Timothy. And look at Timothy. I mean, you've got to have guts to go step into this situation in Paul's shoes, you know, carrying this letter with all the, the talk that's in it, with all the tension that comes from it, all the tension in this relationship, and Timothy is going to step in there and he's going to love them. Uh, boy, it wouldn't be uh, an easy assignment, would it? And you talk about tension. They've been idolizing Paul and idolizing Apollos. Apparently, they've probably asked Paul, Hey, Paul, when are you going to come and take the offering here? And so Paul has explained, Well, well here, here's about the offering. You guys take the offering. When I come, then I'll send it on or I'll go with it, whatever. I'll come and visit you. And then the other thing they asked, if you look at, at, uh, at verse 12, now about our brother Apollos, that's, about, that's referring to their letter. They've sent a letter. Now about means that they had asked something about Apollos. They asked Apollos to come and visit. Arr, you want me to come and pass the hat? You want Apollos to come and visit because you think he's so cool, you think he's cooler than I am. And uh, so Paul says, I'm not going to do it. No, no. Paul, he, he actually asks. No, it doesn't say that he asked Apollo. It says that he urged. No, it doesn't say he urged. He says he urged Apollo strongly to go. Well, Apollos will go when he has the chance. Uh, so Paul, Apollos, Timothy, all of them, they believe in just stepping right into that tension, bringing the gospel right in there, just loving right in there. And so that's what the, 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 the tone of the chapter lands on. All these greetings, all these expressions of love. And so even after he says this, this very hard thing in verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. You know, come and mop up this mess. But he ends it, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. All these greetings from the churches, fond greetings from their friends, Aquila and Priscilla, who had been living in Corinth before. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Is there tension? Step right in. Resolve the tension. You know, my tendency when there's tension and when there's conflict is to want to run the other way. And, uh, yeah, I've got to learn to step in. I don't tend to steamroller people. I tend to just, you know, back off. But I've got to just learn to step right in and lead with my chin. Give me your best shot. Go ahead. Take it out on me. You know, because we're going to work this out. Because the same one who saved me is the same one who saved you. There's only one gospel. And if you're outside of it, I don't care what you do to me anyway. But if you're inside, we're going to work this out one way or another. Let's work it out. So the purpose of life is not to be happy, but holy. And uh, this is the theme. I love this book by Gary Thomas called Sacred Marriage. This is like the theme of the whole book is that what if marriage is not meant to make us happy, but to make us holy? And uh, so he, he has a whole chapter in, in that book, Sacred Marriage, about 
how uh, conflict in marriage is a school of discipleship. It's a, it's a means that God uses to mature and transform and change people, to build people into the image of Christ, uh, the, the wives and the husbands. Uh, he gives this wonderful story of Abraham Lincoln's marriage. You know, Abraham Lincoln, widely regarded as the, the greatest president the United States has ever had. And, uh, you know, part of what formed Abraham Lincoln to be the man that he was was, you know, a marriage, to, a very difficult marriage, marriage to a, a difficult woman. Um, there's one, one uh, anecdote that he records in there. A salesman had come to the White House and was trying to sell something to Mrs. Lincoln. And, uh, you know, he got so upset with the way she was treating him that he went upstairs to the Oval Offices, the Oval Office. I guess things are not the same back then as they are now. But he went up there, knocked on the door, he spoke to the president. Mr. President, I just wanted you to know. That, and he started in about how his wife had treated him and everything that she said. And Mr. Lincoln sat there and listened very patiently to what the guy had to say. And then he said, I guess you can listen for 15 minutes to what I've listened to for 15 years. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, you know, the patience, the commitment, the sticking with a tough relationship, working on it and not giving up. So you have that difficult boss, that difficult student or child or coach. Don't run away. Don't run away from a church. There comes a time to step away from a church. Don't run away because of conflict and tension. Um, don't run away, but face it. So the, the chapter lands, it stands on that one verse. Do everything in love. And this is, this is the heritage of God's people. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as he prays to the Father for his disciples. John 17 22 to 23. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus for making one people, for uniting a people through your blood, through your gift, through your offering, through your presence, through your power. Thank you that you've made us one. And now, Father, may you empower us to preserve the unity of the Spirit which you have formed in the bond through Christ, to live out that unity and to be a display of love that the world can see and see the image of God restored among a people who love one another. Strengthen us to love despite borders and despite tensions, to love one another for the glory of God in Christ. Amen.